is Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Scoops with Danny Mac, and it's the Wednesday edition of the program. Brian Walton of the Cardinal Nation is coming up, so a lot of baseball talk as the winter meetings continue. There have been some signings, some movement, so we'll get into that, but also... The top prospects for the Cardinals of 2021 looking ahead and who could make an impact. And some of that may be done because they're out of options. Have you thought about that? Justin Williams at Mundo Sosa. So if you love the Cardinals, we'll dive into that in this hour of Scoops with Danny Mack. My name is Dan McLaughlin. Text line, Air Comfort Service text line is wide open for you if you want to jump in. And we'll get to some of those as we continue throughout the program. Some of the news of the day, though, the top six teams in the college football rankings remain the same, including interesting here, Ohio State stated number four, despite uncertainty about its upcoming opponents, playoff committee chairman Gary Barta. Well, we've talked about it from day one that the number of games was going to be critical. Uh, We were able to watch another game uh, that Ohio State played. That was important. Justin Fields uh, scores two running and passing and uh, Lave gets gets involved, and uh, so so it was important that the committee see another game uh, by Ohio State, and and they performed well. In the event, and, and I realize this is a little bit fluid right now, but if Ohio State were to not be able to play in the Big Ten championship in a in an unusual season with the pandemic and the rescheduling, how would conference championship in that particular scenario or the lack thereof impact their resume? Well, conference championships one is a is one criteria that we use, and certainly uh, that'll be considered. But of course, we consider the entire body of work, uh, and and we look piece, but uh, it's not it's not the only piece. Things are so odd in 2020 that the Michigan AD is saying that Ohio State deserves to be in the college football playoff. I just want to make it clear. I think Ohio State is one of the top four teams in this country deserves the opportunity uh, in the conversation uh, about uh, their success uh, this season uh, and would be a great representative uh, to the college football playoff uh, if they are chosen. Uh, And so um, it is, you know, for me, that's where I stand. uh, And I'm going to work with my colleagues in the Big Ten and Commissioner Warren Uh, to help make the best decision for us moving forward. That's how odd this season is when you have the Michigan AD saying that he believes Ohio State should be in the national championship picture in the top four. So earlier yesterday, uh, Ohio State learned that its upcoming game against Michigan was canceled because of COVID-19 issues with the Wolverines program. So they're 5-0. and The Buckeyes would need to play another Big Ten opponent this weekend or have the six-game threshold for reaching the league championship adjusted so they could face number 14 Northwestern next week in Indy. If Ohio State doesn't reach the Big Ten title game, it could be bared next week against number 16 Iowa, which moved up three spots after its fifth consecutive win. College basketball last night and the Illini. Boy, they are good. They rolled over Duke. How about Illinois, by the way, tonight? Six players in double figures for Brad Underwood's team. They're They're legit. Yeah, no doubt. Legit. Jumper is good. 18 for Io DeSumo. And Illinois hands Duke 
The Blue Devils, their second home non-conference loss of the year. It was a dominating win for Brad Underwood's club. It was a great team effort. Um, you know, we five guys in doubles, uh, double figures. We had um, uh, Adam with nine. Um, I thought uh, we made some some nice adjustments from the uh, the, the, the Baylor game, uh, solidifying some things defensively. I thought we were much better in, in that capacity. Uh, and again, I thought Io was outstanding. Uh, 12 rebounds. We've really challenged him on the glass. It's rare, but Coach K has seen his team lose not once, but twice already. We're not even through December, but twice already at home. We got beat by... Uh, a team that's better than we are and older, uh, more mature, and uh, they kind of impose their will on us. And and uh, we're you know we're we're just not we're not as good as they are. <laughs> and therefore, you got to be really you got to be really smart. You got to hit shots. We're not there yet. You know, we're not there yet. We got a lot to learn. There's a couple things that Coach K said there, and it's been something I've been thinking about as I'm watching college basketball in the first couple of weeks. Home court advantage, I'm not really sure there is one right now with no fans in the stands, especially when you go to a place like Duke. And you think about, you know, home field advantage, home court advantage, maybe the most significant places that you get that in are college basketball venues. Kids are going crazy. You have the student sections. Uh, they're, they're, you know, 10,000, 12,000 people. It's loud. So I'm not sure you have home court advantage this year in college basketball. The home court advantage comes with the fact that you get to stay at home, sleeping in your own bed. Maybe you're not traveling, that kind of thing. That's obvious. But in terms of what it means in the games, I'm not sure there's home court advantage. And you've seen now two Duke teams, uh, two Duke games at home before the middle of December lose that that's that catches your eye the other thing that when you have programs like duke and some of the others that are getting nba prospects that'll be one and done because of COVID 19 summer workouts fall workouts how much were they really getting with the coaching staff so how much were they getting the system that coach k wants obviously they're getting some but not the full boat that you would anticipate so that they come out ready to play at the level that they anticipated when they signed there so they know this the duke system the system of kentucky kentucky has had issues ku has had issues these are one and dones a lot of them so these young kids are getting beat by programs that have had three-year players four-year players so i think as we go forward with college basketball and this is what i'm talking about with slew illinois maybe to an extent with mizzou too when you have programs that have um veteran players especially look at slew um hassan french jordan goodwin javante perkins three really good talented seniors that have been there anyway in the program you're gonna win you're gonna win a lot because you know they're not getting introduced to a new situation a new coach a new coaching staff where the one and dones <clears throat> yeah they're talented don't get me wrong they're awesome players but it's going to take a while. And that's why I think we're seeing a lot of the upsets right now in college basketball. Slew over Central Arkansas last night. Speaking of Jordan Goodwin, he became the all-time steals leader in school history. Before it's all said and done, and I, I hope 
for everyone's sake, for the obvious reasons that everybody stays healthy, but I want to see him finish his career at SLU with a bunch of games because he is moving up the all-time charts list in points, rebounds, double-doubles, steals now, and same with Hassan French, blocks leader. I mean, these guys have been the pillar of that program, uh, the pillars of that program since Travis Ford took over. And Travis Ford did a, a smart thing. He, he went all in to get those two kids. He got them. And now they're reaping the rewards of getting those kids. And they're two good kids, too. They're going to graduate. Um, they've done a good job in the community, in the program. Hassan French is going to graduate. It's just, uh, you know, it's what you want. And so they've got staggered classes and veterans back. And that's why SLU could be dangerous this year. Baseball, Lance Lynn introduced as the newest member of the White Sox after being traded by Texas yesterday. You know, you're excited. Uh, you look at you getting um, in your career, you want to win. Um, that's the first and foremost. And to have the opportunity to come to an organization that, uh, you know, really are making the push to to win and, and win now. And you look at the, you know, the team they have, they've got a lot of young star power. And, you know, you just hope to come in and help uh, kind of push them over the top or help when you can and help kind of push in the direction that everybody wants to go. And that's about winning a World Series. And that's the you know that's why we play the game and he'll get the chance to do it with one tony the russes former manager that he won with remember in 2011 right here in st louis tony's all business and all about winning that's the only thing that matters uh, it's like how you're <laughs> i remember i was a rookie it's how how's your day going i'll let you know after the game because it, it, it all involves around winning the game and doing everything you can to compete the best you can and succeed and win and that's what he's all about and i think when it comes down to it, when you look at the way this, you know, the game is now, you can have all the, you know, the saber metrics and this and that, and they're all great, and they can be used for so many different great things to help players succeed and become, you know, as good as they can be. But when it's all said and done, it's about winning the game. So how can we use all those things to win the game and do what we have to do to win the game? In between the lines, that's all that matters. They're loading up. The White Sox get Lynn. They get Adam Eaton, and they're loading up to win for Tony La Russa in 2021. We're going to talk baseball with Brian Walton coming up. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin back with you on 101 ESPN. Join in the holiday spirit by contributing to our 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser for the Little Bid Foundation. And by the way, we're going to visit with Brian Walton in just a moment. Donate at least $25 online between now and December 14th. You'll receive a complimentary 101 ESPN T-Shirt as a gift for your donation. 12 days to donate, 12 days to score that free 101 shirt with a donation. Your $25 donation helps the Little Bit Foundation provide a backpack of school supplies to a local student in need. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Massage Lux. Find all the details, make your donation to our 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser right now at 101ESPN.com. As we do every Wednesday, a chance to visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com and a lot to get to as the winter meetings are virtual, but they're up and running. Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. And Brian, good morning as always. Nice to hear your voice. Hopefully everybody's safe and healthy with you. Yes, Dan, and it's always a pleasure to be on. There's news to talk about, and there'll be more in the next few days. Well, let's start with... um, with the minor leagues, because this is right up your alley. This is kind of a big day for certain cities across the country. It's the selection 
for minor league teams to get to 120. Now, we know there's been a reduction. This was coming, and Major League Baseball wants to be affiliated with certain teams, certain cities. 120 is the the cutoff mark. So explain exactly what's happening today at the winter meetings with minor league baseball. Well, there's been a lot of negotiations behind the scenes in recent months, really almost for the last year since this word came out that – that major league baseball wanted to cut the levels in the minor league system down by two. And so the model, the model that will come out the backside is uh, five teams and uh, on the U S level, four of them full season, and then one complex team, either in the Gulf coast league or the Arizona league. So two levels were cut out of the minor league system and roughly 40 teams. So now the major league baseball had some criteria regarding the locations of the teams uh, the minor league teams, as well as their investment in their facilities to ensure that the that the clubhouses and the lighting and everything is is up to current standards. So all these negotiations were going on behind the scenes to decide which 120 cities would keep minor league teams and which ones would lose them. In the case of the Cardinals, we already pretty much know what's going to be announced, uh, barring some sort of miraculous surprise, and that is State College and Johnson City uh, have dropped, been dropped, and they'll move into college wood bat leagues. And the Cardinals' four levels, full season levels, will remain, although in a different order. So Memphis AAA, Springfield AA, but then the Class A teams are rumored to be switching. So Peoria and the Midwest League would become a high A level, and Palm Beach and the Florida State League would become a Class A level. And the reason for that is the Class A being the lowest level, it would be much easier for organizations like the Cardinals to move players from there to back and forth with the next lower level team down, which is the Gulf Coast League. So both would be resident in Jupiter. When you when you talk about State College and Johnson City and a, a wood bat league, um, what does that do in terms, in your opinion, for some of these places with attendance and interest level in those towns? Is it going to hurt? Will it elevate? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, it's going to drop definitely. And one of the things that I did earlier this year um, I, I went back and did a case study on Springfield, Illinois. Springfield, Illinois was once the Cardinals' top minor league team, AAA affiliate in the right. early 1980s. And I went through a progression as they went from AAA to single A to uh, independent league to college wood bat league where they are today and looked at the attendance, the fan interest, the value of the franchise, the investment in the facilities – and it's just an unfortunate thing that, you know, it's not that it's not that state college and Johnson city fans won't be able to see baseball, but it won't be the same, you know, same kind of baseball and there won't be the same level of interest. And those franchises don't want to have the same level of value. So in the case of at least one franchise, the Staten Island Yankees, they've already gone to court because they were dropped. They were one of the teams that didn't make the, the 120 you know, cut and they've, they are taking a tremendous financial loss as a result and are going to court to fight it. So, you know, there's going to be some losers in this case for sure. When you have the winter meetings, you have the Rule 5 draft. That's coming up this week as well. Maybe explain how the Rule 5 draft works and then how it pertains to the Cardinals upcoming here in the next 24, 48 hours. Rule 5 is really designed as a way to allow players to move from organizations that are very rich in talent to organizations that maybe have a little less talent. Um, and the the – the qualification for Rule 5 depends on the number of players. After a player's been in the minor leagues like six years, he can become Rule 5 eligible if the team, his team did not yet put him on the 40-man roster. And so the way that teams protect players from the Rule 5 draft, as I said, is move them on to the 40-man. So that's like what they did with 
Angel Rondon and Ivan Herrera, those types. Uh, so they're not eligible. But there's a next tier of players down that there wasn't room on the 40-man roster, so other teams could pay a, a minimal fee. Well, it means $100,000, but they could get half of it back if they, don't, if they return the player. So teams can you know, pick these players in Rule 5 draft for $100,000, but they're required to stay on the new team's uh, roster for the entire upcoming season, or they – they can be put back on waivers or be returned to their original organization. So, um, you know, it's not completely without expense. But the view is uh, that this year, you know, given the financial straits that baseball is in, teams will be looking for bargains, and potentially there could be a number of pitchers, especially uh, changing homes in the Rule 5 draft. Then there's also a minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft, which are sort of the next level of players down. And those players don't have to be returned to their prior organization. I think it's like, each for those players. So there'll be some movement of typically lesser names in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. But once in a while, a gym even comes out of there. That's how the Cardinals uh, got John Brebbia back about five years ago in the minor league phase of Rule 5. So the Cardinals and all the organizations will be out looking for some, uh, you know, um, lesser known talent in the Rule 5 draft, which will be held uh, on Thursday um, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. And you mentioned John Brebbia, so the non-tender uh, deadline came and went, and the Cardinals non-tendered John Brebbia. We, you and I talked about this. This could happen. This is a possibility. Uh, now that it has, what's your reaction to seeing Brebbia gone? Well, I think the decision to let John Brebbia, as well as uh, as well as well first baseman outfielder Rangel Ravello go, was driven more by the value of their 40-man roster spots than maybe their salary. Brebbia, you know, would make you know, 800000 at most in arbitration. So that money wouldn't have killed the Cardinals. But the roster was at 39 players. Now it's at 37. And that enables the Cardinals potentially to take one player in the Rule 5 draft, which would go to 38, and then still have two spots left to sign, potentially re-sign Molina and Wainwright. And that would put them back at 40. So it's, you know, part of the housekeeping that's needed over the course of the of the year to make sure that there's enough room to hold all the players that that you want to keep there are you know still a wait and see approach at this point with uh, Molina and with Wainwright but one of the kids that is coming up as a catcher in the Cardinal system is Herrera and I know you're following the guys in the Cardinal system that are playing winter ball he's one of them so uh, how is he faring and how are some of the others that are uh, playing winter ball how are they faring thus far well, and, and uh, we have reports uh, every week on the hitters in winter ball and every other week on the pitchers because they don't pitch as often. So, um, And some big names have now started to play in winter ball. Not all the leagues have even started. Puerto Rico is still uh, is going to start in just a few days. But they're playing in the Dominican. They're playing in Venezuela. They're playing in Mexico. And uh, players like Angel Rondon, uh, Genesis Cabrera, the left-hander, who's uh, pitching very well in early action. And as you said, the young catcher, Ivan Herrera, has also uh, just started to play. So it's still early, but, you know, it's good to see these youngsters who really didn't get a year of uh, of play in 2020, uh, you know, get some get some winter ball work in. Hey, Brian, if you could stick through the break, because I want to ask you about your top 50 prospect list. We're now getting into the teens on that list, and it's a lot of fun, and there's some names that I think are of interest for Cardinal fans that could be a factor in 2021. We'll continue with Brian Walton, his top 50 list, in just a moment on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. It's a Wednesday, and that means we're talking it over with Brian Walton. Let's continue the conversation. And one of the things that Brian Walton has at thecardinalnation.com, I really love this 
50 days, 50 nights, the top 50 prospects in the Cardinals organization. And now it's starting to dwindle down into some of the names that you may know. One that really caught my attention that I'm a little surprised, Brian, and thanks for sticking through the break, that I'm a little surprised we didn't see more of in 2020, Edmundo Sosa. You have Sosa listed at, let's see here, number 21. And I'm surprised because this time last year, winter ball, he's showing power. Spring training, he played all over the place. He might be one of the best defenders on the infield that the Cardinals have. Might be able to play a little outfield. You never, you know, you don't know. But the bottom line is, this guy can flat out pick it, um, and he's showing some some spurts of power. So as you look ahead, Brian, where does the future uh, lie in twenty twenty one for Edmundo Sosa? Well, it was tough to get information from the alternate camp, but what we know about Edmundo Sosa is that he was one of the players who had made the team uh, out of summer camp, but was struck down by coronavirus. And, you know, some guys bounced back more easily. We saw Molina come back very fairly quickly, for example, but we saw other guys like Lane Thomas, where you could see, you know, they, they just they weren't able to play at the level in the past. And that must have been the case with Sosa as well because the Cardinals had a need in the infield multiple times. But what we saw and what was surprising to me was that Max Schrock was a guy that continued to get the call to come up to St. Louis. And, yeah, he's a left-handed hitter, but he's not the player that Sosa was. And, in fact, Schrock ended up being put on the waiver wire after the season. And so, you know, I think the reason that Sosa – I have to assume that the reason that we didn't see Sosa in St. Louis this summer – was, you know, because he wasn't at 100% after getting COVID. But he's in a, a, a very good situation for him right now because not only um, um, did Max Schrock move on, but, of course, you've also lost two infielders in Colton Wong and Brad Miller. So the Cardinals, you know, need infield help, and Sosa is clearly the next guy in line to step up. He also has no minor league options remaining. So that means that, Either he has to stick with St. Louis in 2021 or be you know, potentially exposed to waivers. They, they can't just send him to the minor leagues like they did you know, in the past. So Sosa, this is going to be a really huge spring for Edmundo Sosa, and all indications are if he's healthy and ready to go, you know, he should again be on the Cardinals roster uh, on opening day, in my opinion. And the same can be said, currently constructed with uh, your number 17 prospect there with Justin Williams because he too is out of – minor league options. So this is a big uh, off season and uh, spring training potentially for him as well. Yeah. And you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, there are a lot of things that are unfortunate about 2020. One of the things that was unfortunate is the Cardinals were unable to really sort out their outfield, right? We still don't know for sure. Yeah. You know, O'Neill had a, a great season with a glove, but we didn't see the power that we hoped for, you know, Bader had a good year, but was at a mirage, you know, Fowler got hurt. You know, uh, Thomas was, uh, you know, basically unusable. And what that meant was, and, you know, combined with the fact he only played 58 games, Justin Williams never got a chance to come up to St. Louis and play. Right? He's kind of in the second tier of those outfielders. And so what happened was Williams didn't get called up until the final two weeks of the regular season. You know, he, and he, you know I think he only got like six plate appearances. And, you know, didn't do much with it, but you can't really, you know, fault him for that. And again, as you mentioned, Williams, like Sosa, is another guy who's out of minor league options. And so, uh, you know, it's not as clear that he will make the team, especially 
if the Cardinals bring in another outfielder from the outside without you know trading any others. We also don't know how big the roster is going to be in camp. I mean, in, in you know the 2021 season, will it be 26? Will it be 28? Will it be 30 initially? And all those factors come into play. But I think Williams' roster spot is much more tenuous than Sosa's just because of the, the difference in their positions. That you know, Sosa's at a position where the Cardinals have a clear need, and Williams is still trying to fight his way through the hierarchy of, of the Thomases and, and O'Neills and all to get regular work. Now, there's a couple, though, outfielders that do have options, so that would kind of maybe, you know, through roster construction currently, the way that it's uh, developed right now, kind of give him, I don't want to say the inside track, but at least through the numbers and the business side of it, that's that's going to help him. Austin Dean, I believe, still has options, and maybe Lane Thomas does as well. Is that correct? That's right. So let's say they all come to camp and they all play really well then, you know, Williams would probably get the edge for the, for the roster reason that we mentioned, because Thomas and Dean could go back and forth between the minor leagues if necessary. So again, you know, another spring area of competition where these guys, and by the way, you know, Ravello's gone now, so that also creates a little bit more space. But still, you know, these guys are going to be guys coming to camp, and we, I'm talking about Williams, Thomas, and Dean, who are going to, you know, have to scrap for every at-bat and, you know, can't waste a single opportunity because – you know, it's still the Cardinals are going to want to play O'Neill. They're going to want to play uh, Bader. So, you know, those outfield at-bats are going to be extremely important in the spring. There's top prospects. Brian Walton, my guest of thecardinalnation.com on the pitching side. I remember hearing a lot and then seeing in spring training Griffin Roberts. You have him at number 20. Where is he as one of those young pitchers that maybe could break through like we've seen with others that the Cardinals have had and again, they've got young pitching coming. He might be one of them. But where is Griffin Roberts in terms of being close to the uh, big league club? Well, Griffin Roberts is an interesting case. You know, he was a uh, you know taken forty third overall in twenty eighteen. So uh, you know, uh, quite a quite a pedigree from Wake Forest. Uh, his first full season was was damaged by the fact that he had a drug suspension. But you know, he's a guy that in college threw in the the midnight mid nineties um, has a good changeup, and uh, you know also. Um, really he started at high A Palm beach. And that was a pretty, you know, that's a pretty, you know, difficult level of performance and he did not pitch well, had a lot of trouble throwing strikes, but went down to the Arizona fall league after the 2019 season and pitched very, very well. Now a little bit of concern was that his velocity was down and uh, you know, he stopped before the le- the season was over, but um, he Roberts was in instructional camp. And as far as I could tell, he, he looked normal, but he was kind of on the cusp of the guys because remember that the only guys that could go to alternate camp would be the alternate camp last year were the ones that could fit in the 60 man player pool. And Roberts didn't really have the experience where he was going to be ready to help St. Louis, but yet the Cardinals wanted to prioritize, you know, better prospects like, um, like Thompson and Libertor. And so there wasn't room for Roberts to be on that, on that uh, alternate camp squad, which means he didn't really get the action this last year. Uh, But the point is with his pedigree, Roberts, there's no reason to believe Roberts shouldn't get a chance to compete for a starting job at at double a, you know, the question will be, can he continue to develop, throw more strikes or will he end up uh, being a reliever? And that's to be determined. Yeah. I'm excited about Thompson, Libertor, Cody Whitley, Griffin Roberts, that, that to me, 
Brian, overall, as we evaluate where the Cardinals are, and you can say maybe they're in a little transition period with some of the, the guys that they have at the big league club, some of the money that comes off the books at, at the end of this upcoming season. But still, when you look at where the Cardinals are, they're, it's pitching, and they're still the strength with this team right now and this organization, I think you would agree, is they're pitching, major league club and in the minors. No doubt about it. And in addition to the guys you mentioned, here's three other pitchers who are in the top, you know, in the top 20 that we've in our rankings that are still rolling out right now, uh, who you didn't even mention pitchers. And I'm talking about Junior Fernandez. I'm talking about Seth Elledge and Tony Losey, who was a guy that, you know, was again, was drafted in 2019. We didn't get a chance to, a lot to see him, but the, you know, the Cardinals have some tremendous talent that's going to be pushing, you know, to the upper levels of the minor league system. And, you know, in a normal year, you'd think, well, maybe some of those guys are trade candidates, but there are so many free agents now in the market that if the Cardinals, you know, wanted to go at a bat, they could probably pick up a guy without having to give away some of this, uh, you know, pitching riches that they have, which, you know, if 2021 is anything like 2020, you know, they're going to need that depth. No doubt. Uh, I'll wrap it up with this. A couple more things. John Mosellock, president of baseball operations, will uh, meet with the media via uh, Zoom today, virtually this afternoon. What are some of the things you think that he'll address with the Cardinals? I mean, obviously, and the media. It'll be Wainwright, Molina. But uh, what are some of the other things you think uh, will be addressed by John today? Well, I can tell you what I'm planning to ask. Uh, I, one of the things I want to talk to him about is, you know, the assumptions that are being made about the budget for the 2021 season. I mean, we know that the virus, the uh, the vaccine for the virus is going to roll out probably slowly into the spring. Won't certainly won't be available in everyone's in, you know, in everyone's body by opening day. Um, so the question is going to be at what point in time do the Cardinals make the necessary decisions about their budget so that they can plan accordingly for the year? Because on a normal schedule, spring training camps can open in, uh, in February. So we're, you know, in less than, you know, in like two months, two and a half months from now. So, you know, I get that the situation is fluid, but I think that the situation is going to be fluid well into next year. And at some point in time, you know, I think they need to make commitments on uh, you know, how much they're going to spend. Um, another area that I, you know, there's gets getting a lot of attention right now is a designated hitter. And, you know, I'm curious if he thought that the designated hitter was ever going to be resolved quickly, knowing that it has to be collectively bargained with the union. And there are so many other um, open issues that are, that are outstanding right now. Yeah, and I think some teams are kind of like, well, you know, we'll deal with it if we have to deal with it. And other teams are, are saying, yeah, we really want to know. And I think there are players that are saying, please bring the DH because I want my marketplace to be big. I need, a, I need the other half of the league to bid on my services. It's really important for the player, especially Marcelo Zuna, Nelson Cruz, some of the others that are out there. Ideally, for the players and the teams, they would make a quick decision. But yeah. As we've discussed in the past, these decisions don't get made in a piecemeal basis. And so, you know, there are so many other things that have to be negotiated as well regarding the season in terms of how much will players be paid if they can't play all the games in full stadiums? What will roster sizes be? What will expanded playoffs be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're going to have to – they're probably going to end up having to resolve all those issues in a big package. So the Nelson Cruises, you know, they're just going to have to get by. But the reality is, Dan, I think pretty much everybody agrees when all the smoke is, is away – and the decisions made for 2021, the designated hitter is going to be there. It's going to get negotiated in. So some teams, like the Braves did a year ago, may need to gamble and uh, sign a Marcelo Zuna before they know for sure. And it, you know, it paid off handsomely for Atlanta. So, you know, I, I get the concern about the designated hitter, but 
somehow baseball got through it last year without making the decision until June, and I think it'll happen again this year too. And finally, what are you working at at uh, working on at thecardinalnation.com? Well, as I mentioned, uh, we we have our uh, regular reports on the Cardinals players in winter ball including some scouting reports on them from uh, we've got some guys who've got some eyes on the, the telecasts of those games that are going on in the Dominican. Um, we continue that down our top 50 prospect list. We're now at number 15. And so one of those is up every day and there's detailed information on each of these guys. It's not just a list of names, but we describe not only their tools uh, that the players have, but then also an in-depth analysis of what their season was like last year and what their 2021 season looks like and what their career potential might be. So a, a wealth of information. Of course, we'll be, I'll be on the call with Mo, so we'll summarize what he has to say. We'll be all over the Rule 5 draft tomorrow as well. Awesome stuff, Brian. Thanks so much as always. We'll catch you up next week, next Wednesday, and uh, hopefully some of the answers to these questions will be answered by next week. But as always, thanks, and uh, I advise everybody to head to thecardinalnation.com. Talk to you next week. So long. Always great to visit with Brian Walton on these Wednesdays. So, that's Brian Walton. We'll continue with the show in just a moment. We've got Alex Ferrario and BK. They're coming up in just a moment as well. And this is 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and BK, they're coming up next, and they'll have you for three hours leading into the fast lane. They had an interesting guest, C. Trent Ruskrans, and he was on uh, their program a couple of days ago, I guess it was. He writes for The Athletic, covers the Cincinnati Reds, and um, it's a... By the way, and our thanks to Brian Walton, if you look at the, the, the division right now, it is... And I'm talking about the NL Central. It's a division that probably is there for the taking. No one is there that's going to run away with it. And he mentioned, did uh, C. Trent, how this division is really just wide open when you take a hard look at how these rosters currently constructed uh, in 2020 going ahead to 2021. Um, it's, it's basically wide open in the NL Central. Do we know how many players are going to be on a roster? Do we know if there's going to be a DH? Do we know if there's going to be fans in the stands? Um, and then you go into 2022 when you have a new CBA, hopefully, <laughs> if all goes right, we actually have a 2022. Um, so what do you know? And I think it's a, a lot of these teams are kind of looking ahead. Like, what do we know? We don't want to have we want to have as little on the books for a new reality as possible. Um, and all these teams are also kind of saying, hey, we can be mediocre and still get into the playoffs. Um, it's, it's kind of, you know, you, you don't have to be the best team to, you don't have to be a great team to get into the playoffs in the NL Central. And um, it, it's almost been like what it has been in this division for, for quite a while. And uh, this is just kind of a continuation of it. I would tend to agree, and the Cardinals have very good pitching. The Reds are going to take a step back. They have lost Trevor Bauer. They're not going to get him back. Archie Bradley, they picked him up for the stretch run, risky move, and then they don't tender him a contract. They just traded Iglesias, and they're trying to trade <clears throat> Sonny Gray, so you'd have to think that the, the Reds are taking a step back. For the Reds, it might be a win to say, hey, 
we have struggled to trade people at the right time. Maybe this is someone we can actually trade and get value back for once. Because when you look at what their assets that they've had, like other than Dan Straley, who have they traded um, for value? And I mean, that was a pretty minor move at the time that is, that is yielded great results. But, you know, when you look at big names, Jay Bruce, Todd Frazier, Roldis Chapman, Rysela Iglesias, um, these kind of names, they have not uh, gotten a whole lot in return. I'm going to come up uh, with Rivs, or rather with BK and Alex at 1130. We're going to continue the uh, baseball conversation, and that's part of the crossover, but I'll be with them. They've got you for three hours. More baseball talk is coming up. I'll be with you tomorrow again at uh, at 10. And if you missed any of the show, just uh, go to the podcast on 101ESPN.com. It's presented by <clears throat> I Promise. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.